0: And so it begins. No one knows its secrets. It's like nothing you've ever gone after before. You
1: make me want to be a better man.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Watching the Right Movies with the Koski Brothers. This is a podcast where people enjoy mainstream movies but are trying to branch out but aren't sure of an easy way to do it, and you've come to the right place. I'm Ben. This is my brother, Nick. Hey, Benny. How's it going? Oh, it is pretty Good. Ah, uh, I'm a little bit tired, but, you know, nothing gets me awake like doing a podcast.
1: Is that right? Good for... I should, we should make it clear to people that we're not doing this early in the morning, that you shouldn't be tired, except that you're, you're not sleeping.
0: Well, I'm, I'm sleeping. I'm just working the night shift. There's a difference.
1: <laughs> there is a difference. Right. But I'm perfectly awake and have been for eight or nine hours.
0: Well... That's that's great for you, I'm glad you live amongst the living I am, that's good Got to
1: watch some football and do very next to nothing It's a good little Sunday
0: (laughs) That's great, and I'm glad that we got to finish it on such a strong note by doing this podcast That's right Uh, About a funny movie, so you want to tell people what we're talking about today, Nick?
1: We are talking about Mel Brooks's The Producers from 1967. It wasn't his first movie, but the movie that really put him on the map. Uh, I know there's, it's kind of had a revival in the last 10 years or so as a Broadway musical and then a movie based on that Broadway musical. We are not talking about the 2004 or 5 Matthew Broderick and Nathan Lane movie, but the movie with Gene Wilder and Zero Mostel from 1967.
0: Yeah, uh, and I had seen this, I mean, you and I had seen this when we were little, uh, but I hadn't seen it I'm, since then, so it was almost like watching it for the first time.
1: Uh, I have seen this several times, each time expecting that it's going to seem dated or stilted or out of touch, not funny or not outrageous anyway, since I know the, you know, I, I know that even if you're not familiar with this movie, you may know of the, the storyline and yet it always seems exceptionally audacious and just in the worst possible taste, and yet, I, don't know, I can't speak for you, but hilarious every single time. Uh, this is the, the story of two Broadway producers, well, not really two Broadway producers, one, one Broadway producer. producer and his accountant who go into a scheme to raise more money uh, than they need for a, what they're hoping to be a flop, and since the government doesn't pay too much attention to movies that are flops, They're hoping to keep the extra money. Um, And we'll talk a little bit about the play that they end up... By making the the worst musical they end up...
0: Making the worst musical that they could possibly make is their goal.
1: Their goal is to make a... a, Because he, as the producer, uh, has been on hard times and hasn't had a hit in a number of years, was a a grand lion of of the great white way uh, back in the day, but is on hard times and is left to seducing... Uh, little old ladies for the checky uh, to, to raise money for his current productions, and uh, his associate comes in and tells him, you know, just academically, theoretically, uh, if you raise more money for a flop uh, than you actually need, you could keep some of it because the, uh, the government, like I said, isn't going to look too much into a movie that, uh, into a play that opened and closed with a short amount of time. And that is the, that's the premise. That's really the closest thing to a premise. And then, uh, it does sort of go off the rails. That is, well, it, I would that, say it's
0: actually a pretty good, a pretty good premise that, I mean, really it's pretty simple in the end, which is just two guys trying to make, basically their scheme is to do something as bad as possible <laughs> and mm-hmm. somehow that makes them money, which I feel has been copied and done in many other things since then. I mean, sure, and usually it has a nod to the producers of some, uh, of some amount, so
1: Oh, I think the amount of... I mean, I'm sure that there were Dirty Rotten Scoundrels before in the movies. Of course there were. Uh, But this may be the worst of the Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, the lovable Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. I think what works about this movie, and of course it was controversial at the time, and really still should be, uh, but is the fact that the breathless enthusiasm for just the worst taste... And it's almost as if it doesn't even occur to them that what they could be doing is offensive. Uh, and that makes it in some way not offensive. And so that leads, of course, what is the show that they they choose, Benny? Springtime for Hitler. <laughs> A gay romp with Adolf and Eva in Bauschgarten, or, you know...
0: <laughs> well.
1: And to get so they... It's... They... They get the screenplay, and their neo-Nazi screenwriter. He's not
0: really—he's not not a neo-Nazi. No, he's just an old old Nazi. He's He's an old Nazi. Well, so that's what I was going to talk about. uh, About this movie. Yeah, the the joke is—they're going to make. I mean, these two Jewish guys. (laughs) Yes, that's Uh, never
1: never said out loud. But if Bialystok and Bloom, one would assume that these are yes Jewish. Producers. Well, well and I mean, so Mel
0: Brooks, you know, being the writer and director, right. uh, him being Jewish, and you know, he often, you know, not really not as much in this movie, but you have know, a lot of his, you know, Blazing Saddles and Spaceballs. There's tons of you know, overtly <laughs> Jewish things in them <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, that he throws in, but uh, and I don't, I just found this out, Nick. Uh, do you know what bealistock where that comes from?
1: Well, Bialystok is a city in Poland.
0: There you go. I figured you would know. <laughs> uh, I mean, I did not uh, know. it. Until...
1: And Bloom is something that a flower does.
0: Yes, but Leo so... Bloom is the main character of James Joyce's Ulysses. Oh. Uh, which is, which, I mean, and that's, to put it in your terms, Ulysses is the 20th century literature Citizen Kane. <laughs> uh, okay. And... Well, so, but see, oh, so Leo Bloom really is a very famous movie movies
1: because even though it may be the 20th century Citizen Kane, there really is only the 20th century For movies. of movies.
0: Right. Well, it's just you can't have What's a... The
1: Citizen Kane of all books.
0: You can't do a Citizen Kane unless, unless you call it the right. Bible, I would say. Uh, uh-huh. There's just too many books to, to do such a thing. But in the too last hundred years, you can pretty much say the best book. Uh, the point is... Leo Bloom is a very famous character, and it's only funny because I just, I was just reading a book about the production of Ulysses, so I've just been reading about Leo Bloom, and then I start watching this movie, uh, so that was very obvious to me, uh, I certainly didn't know. But you would have that.
1: known that, I mean, you've read the Ulysses before. Yeah. Is there uh, any connection, or do you think it's just well,
0: a thing? Well, uh, I mean, Leo Bloom is Jewish, he's a Jewish, I mean, he's, he, hes again, it's, the whole book is about his day in Dublin. Uh, there's right. no connection in his character really to Gene Wilder, I would say, except. He doesn't have a blank. Leo Bloom of the book doesn't have a blue blankie. He does not. <laughs> uh, but I thought that was. In- it was just very interesting watching this and be like, wait, the- his name's Leo Bloom? And then, yeah, Bialystok is just a pretty solid, I feel, solid last name for a, sm- a uh, sleazy producer. <laughs>
1: And it doesn't get any sleazier than Zero Mostel in this movie. No, uh, so
0: so who is Zero Mostel? Can you tell me who he is? Because I'd never heard of him. Zero and yet, Mostel. And yet he gets like top billing. And I, it's like I'm supposed to know who he is.
1: Well, he would have been a big... I mean... Well, first of all, he's the star of the show. I know. Gene Wilder would have been relatively unknown to audiences. He had the previous year had been in Bonnie and Clyde in a similar role, believe it or not. I mean, a nervous type role, but a, obviously yeah. a similar, a very different performance. Uh, but just a small part in Bonnie and Clyde. Four years before that, he'd been in the, at the University of Iowa, so he wasn't a, uh, I mean, he wouldn't have gotten top billing. Zero Mostel was a very big star in the mole, I shouldn't say very, but he was a famous comedian and more famous because he had been called in front of the House of Un-American Activities. Huh. Uh, you know, he was blacklisted during most of the 50s, uh, refused to testify. Many people will consider him a hero and during that period. Uh, and so he was an exceptionally principled performer, but he was a comic uh, genius. I, think we, I, I don't think he gets held in the same esteem as contemporaries like Groucho. I mean, he's a little bit younger than Groucho, but because he missed that large swath of time in which he was kept from working by the Blacklist. Uh, but he okay. would have been... Oh. I, I'm trying to think of a... It's just so different now. There's so, so many right. different layers. The celebrity all seems to be one... You're either a celebrity or you're not. And if a YouTube or Vine celebrity can be on the same page, there just doesn't seem to be any, any hierarchy anymore. Uh, or if they're, they're it's not necessarily a hierarchy, so much as a. It's always been compartmentalized, but it seems like there are more compartments now. He would have been in the comedy compartment and quite famous for it, if that makes sense.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, I figured, because I mean, I would say that now Gene Wilder is more famous than Zero Mostel Yeah, uh,
1: sure. But when was the last time Gene Wilder was in a movie? Long, long
0: oh, time. He's 80 years old now. Uh, yes, uh, but... Uh, but right. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, Zero is very good, although, man, he's... I've t- at times, I thought he was a little too sleazy. Because you say lovable. Gene Wilder's lovable, and he's, I feel he's right on the edge. Like, that hair is so gross. <laughs> the comb over that
1: begins at the begins of his neck. Is amazing. <laughs> I feel like I, I just got I, I, I got rather, sucked into I just think watching this is the, just the difference between our personalities. Uh, Gene Wilder, I want to slap sometimes for yes. getting in the way if uh, you holding up the show. Zero Mostel's unthinking man of action, uh, as unthinking as it is, and I'm giving him a little less credit than uh, I mean he was mainly known for uh, comedies, but he was also a uh, not too different of a actor than someone we talked about recently, Peter Ustinov from Lola Montez and that he uh, could do a lot of different things was, was a uh, character actor to be sure. I believe he could sing or sang on Broadway. I don't know. I mean, he had, as you could probably tell, uh, his, uh, roots were in New York in the theater scene. Uh, didn't have much of, a, much of a film career, a lot of that, because of the blacklist. But he would have been a respected man, to be sure. Even though, again, he's here, he's making himself look as disgusting as possible. I love when he, yes. you know, the first, scene, with the first scene, which lasts 25 minutes and is just terrific. Uh, I love when he exposes that he's got the cardboard belt. He says, <laughs> look at me, yeah. this, this you know, chain used to have a pearl that big as your eye. I'm wearing a cardboard belt. Of course, he tears the belt up you know, that's right. his only cardboard belt. You can't tear the belt up. When he tries to look out the window, it's so disgusting that cleaning it with coffee actually makes it cleaner. Coffee. And I believe right, there's well, some disagreement just, about you know, this, but be, I believe. The
0: touch me, with these old ladies, I mean, he's just gross. He's grosser
1: than the old ladies, to be sure. They're stepping down yes. to be with him, but it, he's offering them, he's willing is the only thing, which of course then also makes him rather
0: disgusting. Uh, Right, but you have to respect the amount of work that he does, what he goes to he, to keep making he does a, earn, a small he, amount he of money. He does earn a million dollars,
1: which is what they raise for a skinflint production of Springtime for Hitler, in which they get the worst play ever written at step one. I'm going to try to go through the steps. They get, because uh, of the famous monologue in which he says. Because
0: that's pretty much, that movie pretty much is, you know, it's like kind of your classic get the team together mm-hmm. You have know, a plot of, like, okay, let's go get the writer. I and mean, then you have a scene with the writer. Then let's go get the director. Then they have a scene with the director. Right. Let's get the star. They have that. And then snap, you're at the premiere, pretty much. It, it
1: does sort of follow along the same structure as a heist movie, almost, since it is, a, in a certain sense, a crime yeah. they're trying to pull off, except that only two of yeah, the people involved movie. in the crime know are committing the crime. So they do, they know the things they need, and they go out and they get them. Uh the step one, the worst play ever written, Springtime for Hitler. Step two, the worst director, uh Roger Debris, a <laughs> i again, that should age itself, should date itself. Roger and Carmen, a gay couple. That should be offensive now, but it they exist as no couple, straight or otherwise, has ever existed. And so it's so over the top that it's hard to be offended by it. You know what I mean?
0: No, I I actually thought that too. It's like, you know, when you see older movies, yeah, you're right. Those kind of things can get offensive, but it's not. I think the only thing about it, it's, you say, you're used watching it again, it doesn't lose. I would say it only that scene has lost any. I mean, we've seen the gay director, or the gay uh-huh. assistant in... Pretty much every we've certainly seen the gay assistant right. in every uh, romantic comedy nowadays. So, uh, but again, it's like the the elevator with the assistant <laughs> is just, <laughs> just weird. Like, uh, like I feel like they don't. I feel like he doesn't play up like in their gay coupleness, except for the fact that he's wearing a dress. Right. Like, it's just their weird relationship. Whether they were gay or straight is really where the comedy is. So their weirdness
1: uh, comes from. I mean, they're they're and they're idiots. Of course, the, the decisions he has for right. springtime for Hitler, and of course, this complete ignorance of history. Uh, yes. It, Did you know the Third Reich was Germany? I no idea. <laughs> they're losing the war. This whole Third Act must be changed. Uh, yeah. and this, of course, he isn't the dress the whole time. Uh, yeah. And then they find the worst actor, and this is the only part that feels. Ever so slightly dated, although I still think it very much uh, works. And for the uh, musical, I think they it's really dated. It. It's no longer the hippy dippy Hitler, uh, who is actually—I found myself laughing at much more this time. A very funny. I, if I forget he, what the character's name is, but he's got you know finger symbols and this idiot band of leggy blondes behind him and these stupid boots. <laughs> Andy Warhol yeah, tin Ellis, can or
0: lsd lsd his his name's lsd uh yeah Uh, lorenzo lorenzo st dubois
1: otherwise known as lsd and uh what have you done i think that's what he gets asked in the audition what have you done he's like six years for drug trafficking but it's behind me man it's behind me and so uh that of course then i thought go ahead
0: i thought he was funny in his role but like the scene like the scene of him singing or whatever doing his flower power that was too long i was like okay this i'm over like uh to me that kind of brought things to a stop as that i was not laughing uh, the, the, but him in when you you see him in the musical that's to me that's yeah, funny when he is hitler the yeah. audition like, scene oh, man, i think a oh, baby and he keeps saying you know what's that and then the, when he's like oh baby you know, Goebbels baby.
1: Yeah, he loves and Goebbels. He's little Joe. He needs yeah, his little Joe.
0: Yeah, little Joe. And then, uh, you know, the, the Nazis like, I, what is the baby? I did not have the baby. <laughs>
1: <Why is laughs> the Fuhrer yes, right. did not he talk said, like the this. The Fuhrer <laughs> never says this baby. Uh,
0: yeah. So, but I think the audition in
1: the, scene doesn't work. It, I mean, I still think it's pretty funny, but yeah. it does drag a little bit longer. I think it's a, uh, a, a victim of the producer's own success. And that just the concept of ridiculing Hitler is no longer that funny because of this. And I think that part of what they well, so at that's... the time might have really worked and been really funny is just the fact that you have these people in these Hitler mustaches singing, you know, doing these auditions. Right. But we've done this now because of the producers. Hitler has become right. fair game for this kind of ridicule. And it doesn't in and of itself generate a laugh.
0: Right, because let's talk about that, because I actually agree with you. It's like, yeah, this should be funny. Like, I'm sure that this was, I mean, like, I mean, shocking and Mm -hmm. funny in 1968, but to us, it's like, well, I've seen, I mean, people put Hitler stashes on cats and everything, you know? So uh, I feel we could talk a long time about this, but still, I mean, to think about, like, well, especially when I was thinking about this, I mean, right now, I mean, Hitler, obviously, everyone hates Hitler, but we've made him a joke yeah like and in fact you could like again mel brooks even has you know his whole he'd had this idea to do this thing about hitler and his whole thing was you know the way to you know really take people down is to show how ridiculous they are like you can't like fight with a dictator but if you can make you ridicule mm-hmm. him then you've won right if people are laughing right. at him uh and I don't think you can, I think just time has also something to do with it and not just this movie, but you have to say that this movie is one of the parts of the fact that now, you know, we just put, you know, we can take it, we can make fun of anyone by you know, dropping Hitler's name. There's a
1: movie coming uh, out. What is it? The interview? I don't know much about it, but it seems to have a sort of North Korean bent. Seth Rogen and James Right, Frankel. but it seems
0: a little too soon because it's talking about assassinating a dictator who's still alive. Yeah. Uh, and just, it seems like maybe it could be disrespectful to people that are right now, you know, under, I was just going to say, I would, I feel that the interview I could, because it's so, it's going on now seems disrespectful. But if you're talking about Nazis, you know, that's, that's over. But what,
1: how, but there were uh, people, young people, I mean, middle-aged people who had gone through that in 1967. Yes. I think what So works, that's my point. This Yeah, of 1967,
0: course, this is like 25 years yeah. after the Holocaust. Uh, which, that's like what's
1: that. so remarkable about it, because the idea of making fun of dictators or lampooning Hitler, even in, even specifically, was not a new thing, even within movies. The Great Dictator from Charlie Chaplin, right. which this movie does owe a great deal of, uh, uh, you know, influence from, uh, did that. But that was in 1940, before we knew what we knew. What works uh, after 1945 from all the arts, from painting to music to movies, if you were going to deal with this subject, you had to somehow come to grips with the fact that a entire people had tried to be exterminated, and the millions and millions of lives that were either snuffed out, and then millions others that were displaced or uh, irrevocably changed because of the people who were snuffed out. And this movie just refuses to come, doesn't deal with it. Just <laughs> takes it as read no. and goes, I mean, it At what point does it ever... The only time we ever get to see some private thoughts from uh, Bialystok and Bloom is when they take the swastikas off and spit on them in the the trash can. And that is just enough. I almost think that the movie would be maybe better if that part wasn't included. uh, To have us realize that they understand, at least at some level, that they are trading in the... You know, they're hoping that the glorification of evil, which is what this play does, uh, is going to make money for them. Uh, that, that that they That's the only indication we get that they understand uh, that politically, you know, this is wrong, this is terrible. Uh, that what they're
0: doing is beneath... Right, because other than that, they don't seem to care. They're just oh, trying to it's make so the worst. grateful
1: that he finds the play. Look at this play. Right. And they're happy to sing... You know, Deutschland, Deutschland, Uber Alice In the room with the little picture of Hitler and the and the, but it's not. That's the reason. It it doesn't it doesn't get to some place we can. It's just too jolly, over the top, bad. I mean, by bad, I meaning just vulgar, really vulgar. Uh, to think about it, to making light of the sort of things that it makes light of. But it's just too. A, it's too funny. And B too breathless in its enthusiasm to do that that you can't hardly fault it. Again, it's hard to say it's, it's hard to uh, begrudge anyone who would be horribly offended by it, and yet I can't find myself that way because A I'm laughing too much, and B they're just <laughs> because that's of course the irony too is that when the sh- the show becomes such a disaster from uh, from their standpoint, they become so successful precisely because it is a political satire, even though it wasn't intended to be, that does mock the Fuhrer. That is bad for them. It's just an irony upon irony. That Right,
0: because we come to the end, which what becomes pretty obvious just as you're watching. Of course, it's so bad. And then, I mean, you have the great first scene with this, you know, the springtime oh. for Hitler song, which, by the way, I've been singing all week. Oh sure, uh, in it's my head. It's a good song, and you know this. This you know, it, it is. It is a gay romp, <laughs> dancing. <laughs> like, but the, got, even that, the, you got high kicks. The design of, of that, all that is so you know,
1: hilariously. I mean, you look at. You can't help but laugh as you get the audience shots of they're just slack jawed horror right. as you're seeing dancing there's, swastikas. There's one and the woman in the audience costumes from the women made up as pretzels and you know german hawks and, and beer <laughs>
0: yeah and then they they dance in a swastika right. <laughs> like the kick line is sw- and, well well i feel that there's one audience shot where there's one woman you could tell is trying not right. to laugh she can't keep like together. which she's supposed to be disgusted uh but then and so then they think that they're going to get away with this because they think it's horrible and everyone hated it and they have to get out of the way because and people are going to be out. so people are leaving right uh but then we, they meet Hitler and they, re, they start laughing because they think, oh, it is a big joke. Mm. And, of course, then everyone loves the show, making it successful, which then, of course, screws them over. Because right. they owe 25,000% of the profits.
1: 25,000% <laughs> of the profits. So they're, uh, yes. And then, uh, right, then they, they do go to jail after avoiding being killed by the Nazi. Who feels that they rightfully feels that they have not done a service to his show?
0: Right, I feel all that part from after that, after the movie. I mean, after the musical closes with him. I don't know. You never really feel like if he's going to kill them. uh, And then their whole, I don't know how they think they're like. I don't even know what they plan on getting away with blowing up the theater, which they do blow it up, but they still get caught. I don't know. None of that. Right, the blowing up of the theater
1: doesn't work. I It mean, just flat out no, doesn't but the, work. It's a dumb gag because he brings the, you know, the fast because they get blown. The, sh- it, it, the only reason it kind of works is that they're the ludicrous. Uh, you know,
0: they're bandaged, uh, bandaged up, in the stuff up
1: at the trial, but they could have just gone straight to the trial. I guess that's how they got the yeah. neo-Nazi or the Nazi uh, Liebkind in jail with them. But there's no reason why they need to. That makes even less sense that they're partners now with that's Liebkind. That's a good point.
0: Well, that it just makes the final scene. The final part is very funny with them. Yeah, yeah. When they start basically the same scheme Uh in prison, Uh, and also the. I mean, I like the courtroom's pretty good, especially when they're found incredibly guilty. (laughs) Yes,
1: we find the defendants incredibly guilty. And he does have. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, Gene Gene Wilder's speech of saying, "You know, this guy is a horrible man." But is it really so bad? And of course, people cheer for him. but then, you know, it's like, yes, it is so bad. You're still going mm-hmm. to jail.
1: It, it, that works, to be sure. But the things that... Yeah. Having seen the musical and then the dreadful movie based on the musical, there are things that I miss. They did do... Uh, seeing the musical when I was a kid was one of the... I la- never laughed like that in my life before or since. The music the movie's terrible because they cut up the music and they it, it's poorly directed. It makes it seem the as, new as movie if they're on stage, so they're over dramatic. It, that, that first scene that sparkles so much in this movie, uh, with the I'm wet, I'm wet, you know, the famous I'm hysterical and I'm wet, right. you know, that kind of thing, yeah. is just, just dreadful and embarrassing for both Nathan Lane and uh, Matthew Broderick in the new movie. But the, uh, the things that the musical does get right, they expand the Ula character, who's a side joke here, uh, a good one, I mean, it's, uh, you know, that just further, uh, the, this is the Swedish secretary who's a terrible, you know, can't, can't right. type and doesn't know English, but uh, she's expanded, she becomes the love interest, which makes sense, there is no love interest in the movie, and then nor does there need to be one, and nor there's there need to be, I never really feel in the movie that Ula is not getting her due, in terms of the plot. Uh, but there was right. dramatic possibilities there on stage, and so when they expanded that, it works. but the, uh, I still find it, uh, my point being that it's a bit of a shame that there are two the stage musical and this movie, both of which are really good, uh, because you do find yourself trying hoping for a synthesis between the two. Uh, and,
0: and the new movie did not deliver no. that. <laughs> no. Uh, I have not seen the musical, oh my uh, but I did see the new movie. And I remember, uh, and it's funny, watching this, watching this, I can vaguely remember in the new movie. What's funny to me is seeing Zero Mostel, I feel that he's doing a Nathan Lane impression. <laughs> <think> it's the <laughs> other way around, but yes. <laughs> uh, of course. Uh, and to me, it's like, I could see, yeah, Nathan Lane is literally the perfect guy to play this mm-hmm. guy. Uh, right, because you on do, it's
1: too... There's too much energy there. He is, in a certain sense, to bring up another movie we talked about recently. He's a Falstaffian character. Yeah, his appetites are such that uh, the again, it just all comes back to this enthusiasm. The fact that he's not even thinking long enough to realize that this is—I mean, he just found the piece that he knows inherently is horrible, but horrible for his purposes. The purposes of creating a flop. The fact that it's horrible yeah. from a moral and historical and all those other kinds of and a you know ethnological point of view, which he's going to uh, you know glorify a person who would as soon as you know would rather see him uh, killed doesn't even doesn't even cross his mind. Uh, and I believe this is the yeah. first instance. There's some disagreement about this, but the first instance of the phrase "if you've got it, flaunt it," uh, which
0: Ah, uh, really? <laughs>
1: Bialystack certainly does. It came around this time, whether it was this movie or another thing, I don't know. But it was uh, wasn't too far. It, he was not using a phrase when he said it.
0: Yeah, uh, I also saw this. It didn't necessarily invent the phrase, but also became a standard thing. The creative yeah. accounting. Yeah,
1: creative accounting. Uh, Move some numbers
0: yeah. around. And
1: yeah, uh, yeah, and we really hardly. And there's. It's such a quick movie, I mean, it goes by so quickly, it's a little under an hour and a half. Yeah. There's only really three, and that's divided in three acts. The decision, the creation, and then the aftermath. Uh, and it just leads on through. It's my all-time favorite Mel Brooks movie, because I don't think it drags anywhere. Because even, even when it does drag at the audition scene, it's not long enough. Or during the, the scene where they try to blow up the theater. Those things aren't long enough. And it has the greatest use of Lincoln Center in the history of movies, which is saying something. Love that scene where they go to yeah. the fountain and he says, I want everything. Yeah. I mean, that's what sort of makes the difference between, say, this movie and an outrageous comedy of today. Not to say that I don't like... I like today's comedies. I really do. But they're, they're so bent on uh, in-the-moment improvisation that a... Funny right. gag like that with the explosion of the fountains right at the exact right time, in a way that's not believable but certainly funny, and not like ha ha funny, but just a good movie moment. You don't see those these yeah. days.
0: Oh, well, not all the time, but you didn't see it in all the comedies in the it's '60s true. either. So no, I'm saying
1: this is why this you know <laughs> this is an all timer already. I'm not counting on the interview to do the same.
0: Well yeah. Well and I was but also to be fair, this as you said holds for you it's your favorite Mel Brooks movie. But when we were little, I think you probably would have said that was Spaceballs. But as you've Love both said, watching Spaceballs now is is not is dated. I don't
1: like to watch Spaceballs now because it makes me sad. Right. But but so some I'm just, parts of so it are still very funny. And we loved my yeah, goodness, but I'm saying we loved Robin Hood Men and Ties. When was the last time you saw I, that? I
0: saw that the other day and I found myself laughing, probably more out of nostalgia, right. but but those mov- I've been just saying most. Of, I mean, a lot of Mel Brooks movies are parodies. Very much become dated because they were so in the moment, which is why they're big hits and why they were funny. Mm-hmm. But this, I was surprised by how well this held up.
1: Comedy's tough uh, to that end, keeping it fresh. Yeah, but
0: this one pulls it off. Yeah, and so my last little trivia for you, which I found pretty interesting. So. Mel Brooks wanted to call the movie Springtime for yeah. Hitler. Uh, and that seemed like a little too much. <laughs> uh, so they didn't let him do that. But in Sweden, the title is spring, it translates to Springtime for Hitler. Really? Yes, but no, it gets better. So, pretty much all Mel Brooks movies that were released in Sweden, their names are Springtime for something. So, Springtime for the Sheriff. Yeah, so saddles. Springtime for Frankenstein. There's springtime for Frankenstein. Huh. Springtime for Space. Springtime for world history. Uh, so this is that's delightful. kind of his brand I in Sweden. I like that. <laughs> yeah. So there, there you,
1: go. you go. I think the producers is a good title because they're, of course, anything but. They're just charlatans and, and philistines and just terrible people. But yeah, the charlatan much. philistine terrible people is a more cumbersome name. So producers sort of works in that. I, for people who have yes. worked in Broadway, I'm sure their working definition for producers might be charlatan, philistine, terrible people.
0: Yeah, because it's certainly what we think of Broadway producers, but that might be from movies that we've seen. Right. Uh, so if someone liked this movie, give me. Let's go with our top five movies about. Broadway productions, well, so these are not musicals themselves, but about sure. making Although, Broadway, because there's quite a few
1: like this. Yeah, but that's a, that's a difficult, I mean, you, if you like this, you may not like I don't, the things yeah. that you like about this movie have little to do yeah. with the fact that it's Broadway. They also could be making a movie. That's true. You know, it's just an art creation, but anyway. Number five is Bullets on Broadway. Uh, Woody Allen. The other great Jewish comic of the movies. The 60s pl- on up. Uh, the Bandwagon is number four. Fred Astaire comedy, which I think is a musical. At least it has a lot of music in it, dancing music and that kind of thing. Number three is The Producers. Number two is The Sweet Smell of Success, which is a great, great, all-time great movie, although it's less about, it's about a Broadway critic. So I'm fudging just a little bit, but it's on 50% of the show, so I feel, good, I, I feel fine about it. Yeah. And number one is All About Eve, which is both funny and true i guess uh you know famous yeah. betty davis so
0: that's one of your all-timers well it's a great
1: movie yeah.
0: <laughs> well then everyone should go see it <laughs> yeah go go check it out in a theater near you
1: it's 65 years yeah. old <laughs> yeah
0: all right well thanks nick uh thanks everybody if you have Anything to say about jokes made about Hitler, let us know at watchingtherightmovies at gmail.com. Uh, you can find us on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, you can find us on Nick's website, nickrinkowski.com, where it has our podcast and his reviews of uh, contemporary and classic movies. And we will see you next week. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old fan.